It's great to be here again today. This is a wonderful day for this church. It's been a wonderful week. Exciting things are happening. The um, transition team is in the process of being formed. And hopefully by the end of the week, that will be done. Exciting things will be coming from that and our work with Dr. Lane Wallace. And today, what a great day with the Kendricks here and the possibility to call them to serve alongside us in this place. I hope you've already had a chance to meet them. They're wonderful people, gifted, talented, committed servants. And they will be a great, great blessing to the life of our congregation. So don't forget that after service today, there'll be a business meeting, a brief business meeting, and we will move on from there. Great things happening. As together we seek to redeem the time, this time between the times, this interim time, a time when we can either mark time or redeem time, I can see that we're about the business of redeeming the time. Would you pray with me? We are thankful, Lord, that you have loved us so much that you sent your son to die for us that we might not die but have everlasting life. And we thank you that that death can occur any moment, that we are willing to surrender our lives to you and that resurrection life can begin any moment that we will allow you to become Lord and Master. And we thank you that in that new life, you called us together as a people to be your family in the world, your church in the world, your presence in the world. So in these days, as we think about our future together, as we continue with that which you're calling us to do in the present, give us the grace to be able to look at who we are and look at your word and ask ourselves, are the things you're calling us to be? And then the courage to be responsive to whatever the calls may be. I thank you for this, people for the gift they have given me of being a part of these days. I pray that you'd use us together as you would, however you would, that your kingdom might come and your will might be done even in this place as it is in heaven. Speak to us now through your word. Give us ears to hear so that we may hear what you would have us be and then do what you would have us do. These are our prayers. In the name of the Jesus who calls us ever on the journey of faith. In his name we pray. Amen. 
There's a great little book called Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Anybody read it? Lewis Carroll's classic tale of Alice's travels in Wonderland. There's one scene in that book which is especially moving to me. Well, I think it's more than moving. It's actually convicting to me. Alice is making her way down the road, and she comes to a point where there's a forks in the road, and she stops. She looks down one as far as she can see, and then she looks down the other one as far as she can see, and she's befuddled. Which road to take? She looks all around, and she catches a glimpse out of the corner of her eye an old Cheshire cat sprawled out on a branch of a tree just above her. He's sort of thumping his tail, the way cats do, at their own rhythm. You try to follow it sometime. So she turns to the cat and she says, "Uh, Sir, could could you please tell me which way I should go from here? The cat just kind of sits there and purrs. He said, well, my dear, it depends a good deal on where you want to get to. Alice thinks, well, sir, I really don't know where I'm going to go. To which he says, then, my dear, it doesn't matter which way you go. There's great wisdom in the old Cheshire's words, isn't there? To get somewhere, you have to know where you're going to go. To get somewhere, you have to know which road to take, and that will be told to you by where you're going to get to. In the same way, to be something, you have to know what it is you're supposed to be. And so in these days, we are asking ourselves the question, what does it mean to be the church in the 21st century? What does it mean to be the people of God in the 21st century? And to what must we turn for the answers? Well, of course, we turn to Scripture, don't we? For there God has spoken to us about who we are to be and how we are to be and what we are to be. So for a couple of weeks, we're going to be looking together at the guidance of one person I think is probably pretty capable of helping us here. His name is Peter. He was one of the first disciples Jesus called. He became one of the first apostles. He had a sort of up and down life, you know, during his early years as Christian. One moment he's rebuking Jesus. One moment he's confessing Jesus. And one moment he's even denying he ever knew Jesus. But then at last, he gives himself completely to Jesus. He becomes one of the great leaders of the church. And he writes some letters to help Christians understand who God is calling them to be as his people in the world. And so we're going to look at First Peter chapter 1. So I want you to open your Bibles. I know it's in the bulletin, but I'd like you to look in your Bible. You know, we Baptists say the Bible is a pretty important book. In fact, we'll fight about it. 
if anybody says something about it that we don't think is so. So let's be sure we use the Bibles that we have. First Peter chapter 1. Now, Emerson Grace has already read it beautifully, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but we're going to kind of take it apart and look at some of the pieces of it. Begins, of course, with what? What? What's the first word? Peter. Peter. Right. All first century letters began with the name of the author. Is that the way we do today? Where do you put your name when you write a letter? At the end. Well, why would they put it at the beginning? It seems kind of ridiculous, doesn't it? Well, of course, they were writing on scrolls. So if you got something in the mail in a scroll to find out who it was from, there was no uh, return address, what would you have to do? You'd have to unroll the whole scroll, wouldn't you? Now, I get some mail. I, I don't get much anymore, actually. Everything is email now. But I get some mail that I know immediately I'm not going to open. Do you? I mean, it goes immediately into file 13. But in the first century, you couldn't tell that until you read through the whole thing or got to the end of the scroll, and that could be pretty time-consuming. So they just said, let's put the name right at the beginning. And so they did. Peter. Peter. Peter apparently, scholars believe, had had some mission work in the area where the churches are that he's writing to here. Notice he calls himself what? Peter and apostle of Jesus Christ. Here is one who can speak to us with authority about what it means to be the people of God in the world in the first century, but also in the 21st century. Because we know these letters written to people in the first century were also written to us, weren't they? Inspired that they might apply to every people in every age. So Peter's going to be our guide now. And who's he writing to? The exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Wow. Where are those places? I don't hear anybody talking about Pontus. Do you? or Cappadocia, or Bithynia. So where are they? Well, they're in the region that we would call today Turkey. All these people are in Turkey today. And Paul, uh, Peter says they are in the dispersion. He calls them the exiles in the dispersion. The word is a word that can tra- be translated in a n- number of different ways. Exile, it can be translated uh, aliens, They are people who are out of place. The Jews had been in exile since 587 B.C. when they were, Palestine was pretty well destroyed and they were sent all over the world. By Jesus' day, there were more Jews living outside of Palestine than in Palestine. Did you know that? More Jews outside of Palestine than in Palestine. And many of them were in Asia Minor where, where Peter is writing this letter. Asia Minor is what we call Turkey today, a Roman province, a great Roman province. All these were Roman provinces. Now, they are not in exile in that they are away from their home country. And this is important for us to hear. 
they're in exile because they are living as aliens in a culture that does not accept them or acknowledge them as being legitimate. They live in a culture that does not accept their God as being the one true God. That does not accept their mores as being the acceptable mores, their morals. They're living in a world that believes, in fact, that they are pagans because they don't worship many gods. I mean, if you have many, why so for just one? That's what the world thought. They were living in a world where they were considered traitors to the Roman Empire because they refused to burn incense to Caesar as God. They were outcasts. They were those on the lowest levels of their towns, their villages, and their cities. They were exiled from the community in which they lived. And they suffered persecution for that. Some would even suffer death for that. They were beleaguered because of this situation. And Peter writes to them to to encourage them that regardless of their circumstances in exile, regardless of their position as aliens, a number of years ago, a great little book was written called Resident Aliens about these Christians and about Christians today. Are we resident aliens in our culture? Or if not, are we becoming aliens in our own culture. We certainly are becoming resident aliens in the world. So, how do you live in this kind of world, not so unlike the world we live in today? And that's what Peter writes to tell us. This is how to be the church. This is how to be the church. Notice what he says. He says, you have been chosen and destined by God the Father. That's the first thing. Don't forget this, he says. Remember, you have been chosen and destined by God the Father. Now, the word translated chosen and destined uh, is translated in, in some versions as by the foreknowledge of God. The Greek word is eklictos, and it means called out. You have been called out by God. And you are part of the God's purposes and God's plan that began all the way back with Abraham when he raised up a people for himself. And you are part of that continuation of God's redemptive history in which he is calling people from all nations, tribes, and tongues to become a new humanity in Jesus Christ. he's not just talking to individuals here. He's talking to us as communities. As a community, you have been called out as part of God's purposes. Spring Creek Baptist Church is not here by accident. You have been raised up in this place at this time by God's purpose. So don't forget, whatever may be besetting you from without... You are a part of God's purposes is Spring Creek Baptist Church. Now, let's face it. 
Let's be honest. Sometimes being a part of church is frustrating, isn't it? You ever get frustrated? Probably not here. But in some churches, people sometimes get frustrated. Things are not going exactly the way they think they should. You know, sometimes we just get discouraged. What's happening? Why aren't we growing like we should be growing? Why aren't we doing some of the things we should be doing? We just get discouraged. Do you ever get discouraged about the church? And sometimes we just get disappointed. Have you ever been disappointed by church? All these things can happen to us, but we must remember through all of this that we are a church that has been called out by the purposes of God and God will accomplish his will through this body if we will allow him to do that. Remember what Jesus said, I will build my church, right? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Nothing can prevail against my church. Whatever it may face, if it's faithful to me, nothing can destroy it. So we must, we must remember that always. We are called out by the Father. We're not here on our own. None of us called ourselves here. We came here because we were called by Jesus Christ to be here. And so our task is to believe that and live like that and trust God that God's will will be done. And that me personally as an individual, I'm a part of God's doing his will, so I must be open to God's working in my life even when I'm disappointed, discouraged, believe that God is accomplishing his purposes through this church. We are called out by God the Father. And then he says, we are sanctified by the Spirit. Now, sanctified is not a word we use very often in daily life, is it? I don't. I don't ask Sheila to sanctify the bedroom. I ask her to clean the bedroom. Actually, I don't ask her to clean it because I clean it most of the time. (laughs) That's really not true. (laughs) My My one big responsibility in the house is to do the laundry. I do the laundry every week. I've been doing that for 40 years. I love to do the laundry. It doesn't require any thought. And I can see the job accomplished. Many of us have jobs that you never see the results of. So I used to love to mow the lawn because I could see the results, but I can't do that anymore, so the laundry suffices. 
Sanctify is a Greek word. The Greek word means uh, sometimes it's translated consecrated. It could be that, but it, it really means set apart. We've been set apart by the Spirit, Peter says. Set apart in Greek means set apart from one purpose for another purpose. It means to be taken out of ordinary use for extraordinary use. So Peter says, listen, God's spirit has set you apart, has taken you from ordinary use for extraordinary use. And remember, this is not just talking about individuals, it's talking about the church, Spring Creek. God has set you apart from ordinary use for extraordinary use. That is to be the church, which is a group of people unlike any other group of people in the world. So remember, we are set apart by the Spirit of God. It's not our doing, it's God's doing. Our call is to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. And that's why prayer is so important for me as an individual and for me as a part of the church. That's why prayer is so important for the church. Study the life of Jesus, and you'll see that before every major Change in his life, he spent time in prayer, often all night in prayer. Read the book of Acts, and you'll see that before every major juncture in the growth of the church, the church spent time in prayer. Last Sunday, I asked you to join me in praying for the church every day. And I want us to pray together about the life of the church as often as we possibly can, because prayer opens the doors of access to God's Spirit in our lives. Prayer takes my focus off me, which is very difficult for me, and turns my focus to God. And that opens the door for God to actually Speak to me and direct me, and that's the way it works as a community as well. Prayer takes our focus off ourselves so we focus on the God who's called us to be this people by his spirit. But know this, the same God who sets us apart also empowers us to be that people. Do you remember what Jesus said? In Acts 1.8, he says, you shall receive power and you shall be my witnesses. He doesn't say, well, you know, maybe you'll receive some power along the way. Or if you're lucky, you might receive some power along the way. He says, you shall receive power along the way. And then he says, you shall be my witnesses. Not, uh, if you get a chance, would you mind saying a good word for me? Not if it's not too much trouble, would you mind speaking up for me? Not if it doesn't cost you anything, would you say my name? He says, you shall be my witness. He assumes that we will be his witness. And he promises his power as a congregation. He promises his power to us. Remember what Paul says about that power in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20? 
He's coming to the end of the third chapter of Ephesians. He's been writing along about, about the nature of salvation in Christ. He gets so excited, he just has to break out in song, break out in doxology. He can't stand it anymore. And so he does. And this is beautiful doxology in chapter 3, verse 20. And he closes it by saying, Now to him who, by, whose power at work in you can do in you and through you more than you can ever ask or think. Far more abundantly, he says, than you can ever ask or think. God is ready to unleash his power in our lives as a congregation in ways that we have never dreamed or conceived. If we are willing and sensitive to his spirit. You are called by the Father. You are set apart by the Spirit. And then he says to be obedient to Jesus and to be sprinkled with his blood. Now, this seems a little alien to us, this last phrase, but let me tell you the background. The sprinkling of blood had great significance in the Old Testament. When a leper was cleansed, he was required to go to the priest. And if he was clean, he would be sprinkled with blood. That was the sign that he was truly cleansed. So we're sprinkled with Christ's blood, and that's a sign that we are truly cleansed of our sins. When Aaron and the priests were first ordained in Israel. They were sprinkled with the blood of a sacrificial animal. That was the sign that they were set apart from the community for special service. So Peter says, you, you are sprinkled with Christ's blood and that means that you're set apart for special service. You're ordained in a sense for extraordinary work. And then when they met God at Sinai and he delivered the law to them there at Sinai. And after he had delivered the law, they all gathered there and having heard it read, this is what they said. And in unison, they said this, all these things we will do. That was their commitment. All these things we will do. We have heard the word of Yahweh and we will do the word of Yahweh. And Moses sprinkled the congregation with the blood of a sacrificial animal. Now, Peter says, you are sprinkled with his blood. That blood of the cross which somehow mysteriously cleanses us from our sin which somehow mysteriously sets us apart for special service, which somehow mysteriously calls us to obey God's word. Obedience, you see, is the key to it all. 
just before the, that occasion on Mount Sinai, God had said to Israel, if you will obey my voice, you shall be to me my people. Obedience. In the New Testament, obedience and faith are two sides of the same coin. Now, we sometimes forget this and we think, well, it's just faith. And if you put, bring obedience in there, well, then you get to works righteousness and we don't want to have anything to do with works righteousness. But in the New Testament, faith and obedience are synonymous You can't have one without the other, Paul says. He begins the book of Romans and ends the book of Romans by calling for the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. Without obedience, there is no faith, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. Where there's obedience, there's faith, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. He should know something about this subject. Paul in the book of James agree right up and down the line that faith and works are inseparable. You can't have one and not the other. You have to have both. And then there's that famous text from Ephesians 2 where Paul says we are are saved by grace through faith. Of course we are. There's no other way to be saved except by grace through faith. We can't do it ourselves. But we are saved, he says, for good works that we might walk in them. Works don't get us salvation. They're the result of salvation. And Peter says, the people of God, the church in the 21st century is called to obedience. To obedience. It begins with my own life, of course. But it's corporate obedience as well. Seeking to be corporately obedient to the will and purpose of God. That's what it means to be God's people in the 21st century. That, Peter says, is what it means to be the church. So we are called to be God's people. We are called to obedience. We are grateful, Father, that in your great mercy, that by your great grace, we have heard your call. We're grateful that you have called us out to be your people not of, by any means that we have accomplished, but by your great love and grace. We're grateful that you have set us apart by your spirit and promised your spirit to us to empower us to be that people in the world. We're grateful that you have called us to obedience. Well, at least I think we're grateful. Because for me, it's tough. 
I've got my own way. I've got my own will. I've got my own desires, my own hopes. And sometimes you say no. Sometimes you say you're taking the wrong road. Or sometimes you say there's another road I want you to take. So, Lord, help me to be obedient. And grant that we as a people together may be obedient to you in every possible way we can. That we might be the people you've called us to be. The people of God. The church. And the world. Today. In the name of the Jesus through whom you've called us, we pray. Amen.